Redfield Arts Audio. The Set of Poe by George Ade. Waterby remarked to his wife, I'm still tempted by that set of Poe. I saw it in the window today. Marked down the $15. Yes, said Mrs. Waterby, with a sudden gasp of emotion, it seemed to him. Yes, I believe I'll have to get it. I wouldn't if I were you, Alfred, she said. You have so many books now. I know I have, my dear, but I haven't any set of Poe. And that's what I've been wanting for a long time. This edition I was telling you about is beautifully gotten up. Oh, I, I wouldn't buy it, Alfred, she repeated, and there was a note of pleading earnestness in her voice. It's so much money to spend for a few books. Well, I know, but... And then he paused for the lack of words to express his mortified surprise. Mr. Waterby had tried to be an indulgent husband. He took a selfish pleasure in giving and found it more blessed than receiving. Every salary day he turned over to Mrs. Waterby a fixed sum for household expenses. He added to this an allowance for her spending money. He set aside a small amount for his personal expenses and deposited the remainder in the bank. He flattered himself that he approximated the model husband. Mr. Waterby had no costly habits and no prevailing appetite for anything expensive like every other man. He had one or two hobbies, and one of his particular hobbies was Edgar Allan Poe. He believed that Poe, of all American writers, was the one unmistakable genius. Hmm, the word genius has been bandied around the country until it has come to be applied to a long-haired man out of work or a stout lady who writes poetry. In the case of Poe, Mr. Waterby maintained that his genius meant one who was not governed by the common mental processes, but, quote, who spoke from inspiration, his mind involuntarily taking superhuman flight into the realm of pure imagination, end quote, or something of that sort. At any rate... Mr. Waterby liked Poe, and he wanted a set of Poe. He allowed himself not more than one luxury a year, and he determined that this year the luxury should be a set of Poe. Therefore, imagine the hurt to his feelings when his wife objected to his expending $15 for that which he coveted above anything else in the world. As he went to work that day, he reflected on Mrs. Waterby's conduct, did she not have her allowance of spending money? Did he ever find fault with her extravagance? Was he an unreasonable husband in asking that he be allowed to spend this small sum for that which would give him many hours of pleasure and which would belong to Mrs. Waterby as much as to him? He told himself that many a husband would have bought the books without consulting his wife, but he, Waterby, had deferred to his wife in all matters touching family finances, and he said to himself, with a tincture of bitterness in his thoughts, that probably he had held himself into the attitude of a mere dependent. For had she not forbidden him to buy a few books for himself? Well, no, she had not forbidden him, but it amounted to the same thing. She had declared that she was firmly opposed to the purchase of Poe. Mr. Waterby wondered if it were possible that he was just beginning to know his wife. Was she a selfish woman at heart? 
Was she complacent and good-natured only when she was having her own way? Wouldn't she prove to be an entirely different sort of woman if he should do as many husbands do, spend his income on clubs and cigars and <clears throat> private amusements, and give her the pickings of change? Nothing in Mr. Waterby's experience as a married man had so wrenched his sensibilities and disturbed his faith as Mrs. Waterby's objection to the purchase of the set of bow. There was but one way to account for it. She wanted all the money for herself, or else she wanted him to put it into the bank so that she could come into it after he... <gasps> but this was too monstrous. However, Mrs. Waterby's conduct helped to give strength to Mr. Waterby's meanest suspicions two or three days after the first conversation, she asked, You didn't buy that set of Poe, did you, Alfred? No, I didn't buy it, he answered as coldly and with as much hauteur as possible. He hoped to hear her say, Well, why don't you go and get it? I'm sure that you want it, and I'd like to see you buy something for yourself once in a while. That would have shown the spirit of a loving and unselfish wife. But she merely said, That's right, don't buy it. And he was utterly unhappy, for he realized that he had married a woman who did not love him and who simply desired to use him as a pack horse for all household burdens. As soon as Mr. Waterby had learned the horrible truth about his wife, he began to recall little episodes dating back years, and now he pieced them together to convince himself that he was a deeply wronged person. Small at the time and almost unnoticed, they were now accumulating to prove that Mrs. Waterby had no real anxiety for her husband's happiness. Also, Mr. Waterby began to observe her closely, and he believed that he found new evidences of her unworthiness, for one thing. While he was in gloom over his discovery and harassed by doubts of what the future might reveal to him, she was content and even-tempered. The holiday season approached, and Mr. Waterby had made a resolution. He decided that if she would not permit him to spend a little money on himself, he would not buy the customary Christmas present for her. Selfishness is a game at which two can play, he said. Furthermore, he determined that if she asked him for any extra money for Christmas, he would say, I'm sorry, my dear, I can't spend any. I am so hard up and I can't even afford to buy a few books that I've been wanting a long time. Don't you remember that you told me that I couldn't afford to buy that set of could anything be more biting as to sarcasm or more crushing as to logic? He rehearsed this speech and had it all ready for her as he pictured to himself her humiliation and surprise at discovering that he had some spirit after all and a considerable say-so whenever money was involved. Unfortunately for his plan, she did not ask for any extra spending money and so he had to rely on the other mode of punishment. He would withhold the expected Christmas present in order that she might fully understand his purpose. He would give presents to both of the children. It was a harsh measure, he admitted, but perhaps it would teach her to have some consideration for the wishes of others. It must be said that Mr. Waterby 
was not wholly proud of his revenge when he arose on Christmas morning. He felt that he had accomplished his purpose, and he told himself that his motives had been good and pure, but still he was not satisfied with himself. He went to the dining room, and there, on the table in front of his plate, was a long paper box containing ten books, each marked it was the edition he had coveted. What's this? He asked, winking slowly, for his mind could not grasp in one moment the fact of his awful shame. I should think you ought to know, Alfred, said Mrs. Waterby, flushed and giggling like a schoolgirl. Oh, it was you? My goodness, you had me so frightened that day when you spoke of buying them and I told you not to? I was just sure that you suspected something. I bought them a week before that. Yes, yes, said Mr. Waterby, feeling the salt water in his eyes. At that moment, he had the soul of a wretch being whipped at the stake. I was determined not to ask you for any more money to pay for your own presents, Mrs. Waterby continued. Do you know I had to save for you and the children out of my regular allowance? Why, last week I nearly starved you, and you never noticed it, as I was afraid you would. Uh, uh, no, 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 I, I, I didn't notice it, said Mr. Waterby brokenly, for he was confused and giddy. This self-sacrificing angel and he had bought no Christmas present for her. It was a fearful situation, and he lied his way out of it. How, how did you like your present? he asked. Why, I haven't seen it yet, she responded, looking across at him in surprise. You haven't? I, I told him to send it up yesterday. The children were shouting and laughing over their gifts in the next room, and he felt... It is duty to lie for their sake. Well, don't tell me what it is, interrupted Mrs. Waterby. Wait till it comes. I'll go after it. He did go after it, although he had to drag a jeweler away from his home on Christmas Day and have him open his great safe. The ring which he selected was beyond his means, it is true. But when a man has to buy back his self-respect... The price is never too high. The Redfield Arts Audio Podcast has been brought to you by... Marley was dead, to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial of his approach. Bah, said Scrooge. Humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle. You don't mean that, I am Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you, then? In life I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Ooh, and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Why, it's old Fezziwig! Bless his heart! It's Fezziwig alive again! Come in! Come in and know me better, man! I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. As the last stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley and, lifting up his eyes, beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming 
like a mist along the ground towards him. A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens As told by Mark Redfield Music and sound design by Jennifer Rouse From Redfield Arts Audio from Redfield Arts Audio. London at Christmas time. I had called upon my friend Sherlock Holmes upon the second morning after Christmas. Ah, a happy Christmas, Mrs. Hudson. Oh, Dr. Watson. Sherlock Holmes and the Blue Carbuncle. Adapted from the story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I've had enough of you and your geese. I wish you were all at the devil together. If you come pissed any more with your silly talk, I'll set the dog on you. Starring Mark Redfield as Sherlock Holmes, J.R. Liston as Dr. Watson, and Carol Mason as Mrs. Hudson. You, sir. What do you want? You will excuse me, but I could not help overhearing the questions which you put to the salesman just now. I think that I could be of assistance to you. How could you know anything of the matter? My name is Sherlock Holmes, and it is my business to know what other people don't know. You know nothing about it. Excuse me. I know everything of it. Available now on Audible and other online audio retailers. And here's to a happy new year, my old friend.